0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today, we are in on episode 131. Of course, my name is Tyler, and you got Pratik and Nick, as always. Today, we have many stories for you. We're going to be kicking it off today with Tim Scott. So, Pratik, what's going on?
1: A new challenger has entered the race. Senator Tim Scott wants to inspire a hopeful vision for America's future. In a significant announcement, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina officially declared his candidacy for the president. As the Senate's only black Republican, Scott's decision to seek the Republican Party's nomination in 2024 will test whether his optimistic vision for America's future can resonate with GOP voters who have recently favored partisan fighters. Scott will make a formal announcement on Monday at Charleston Southern University, his alma mater. The 57-year-old former insurance broker has rooted his political identity in his grandfather's work in the cotton fields of the Deep South. Despite his personal story of rising from generational poverty, Scott rejects the notion that racism remains a powerful force in society. He presents his candidacy as the embodiment of the American dream, attainable only in the United States. To set himself apart from Trump and DeSantis, Scott strives to focus on hopeful themes and avoid divisive language. He refuses to center his life story around the country's racial inequities, arguing that those who disagree with his views on the matter are attempting to use race as a weapon to divide the nation. Scott believes that the truth of his own life disproves their claims. He expressed concerns about telling white children that they are oppressors and telling black and brown children that their destiny lies in grievances rather than greatness. Tim Scott's presidential campaign will undoubtedly bring forth debates and discussions about the future direction of the Republican Party and the nation as a whole, as he seeks to offer an alternative vision built on optimism and unity. So, Nick and Tyler, what are your thoughts on Tim Scott? Well, I'm glad that someone
0: else is entering the race. We were talking before the show. It's actually the first senator that's in the presidential race. Um, Tim Scott, he's a good speaker. Um, He has some interesting opinions. We were talking about opportunity zones before this. Um, He's pro-life. He's very focused on financial issues, all that. His messaging is focused around being hopeful and and avoiding divisive language. I'm actually not sure that there's a lot of demand for that at the moment. I think people like divisive language. I think that's going to help you. And I don't really know how you beat someone like Trump by going the optimistic higher, higher road route, because that's something like Jeb Bush did. And it just didn't pan out very well. Maybe it'll work. I just don't think so right now. He's pulling at like what 1%. I know he just announced his candidacy. Of course, he wouldn't have really any poll numbers to show for that. But still, I don't think he has that much of a national president's presence against DeSantis or Trump. It's looking really like a really long shot that he stands a chance here. But we you never know. I mean, things can change in a moment. Maybe he has a highlight moment that goes viral and everyone catches on and loves to see that. But from where we're sitting right now, it looks pretty unlikely that he's going to have a significant impact in this election. Nick, what are your thoughts?
2: So Tyler, you say that he's not going to be divisive, um, but at the same time, if you look at the top issues on his campaign website already, it's border security, it's national security. So he talks about the showdown with China that's going to be happening. He talks about conservative values where he he thinks that liberty and sort of faith and patriotism are in decline in the United States. And so, you know, aside from the faith stuff, which it's very clear from his life story that he's very grounded in his religion. But as far as national security, it's really framed around being adversarial around China. And on border security, it's also framed as being adversarial against drug cartels Um, on the fentanyl issue, which is a big issue uh, when Republicans are running. Democrats don't seem to do as much with fentanyl just because the Republican talking point is often around fentanyl coming through the borders, not as much any of the pharmaceuticals in the United States with, you know, any other opioids just, you know. That, that was sort of talked about with uh hillbilly what is it elegy eulogy how do you how do you pronounce it I think it's hillbilly elegy um with, with that book but apart from that like it, it hasn't really been in the conversation for a little while so I just wanted to say that for Tim Scott like personally if he had a strong stance on environmental stuff or climate change stuff I could vote for someone like Tim Scott now, I, granted, I disagree with him on abortion. I disagree with him on the religiosity of his background. Like, I, I probably wouldn't like him for a lot of actual issue reasons. But as far as personal character, Tim Scott is someone who very much is like a traditional politician when you think of one where it's like they've got a squeaky clean record. They look good in front of the camera. They're personable. They have a compelling life story. Like, this guy really has a good background to be a major contender and do very well in this election cycle. But like you were saying, I just don't know if like being kind of the old school classic politician of being nice to people and, you know, trying to get everyone along with each other. Granted, on the foreign stuff, he's still adversarial, but at least within the country. Again, I don't know if there's that appetite for everyone to get along and rally behind someone like Tim Scott.
0: Yeah. So I, and just to clarify, I wasn't referring to policy positions, but rhetoric. Rhetoric wise, he's trying to not be divisive. Policy positions, I'm sure he is. But Prateek, what are your thoughts on Tim Scott?
1: So in my time, whenever I was working in Congress, like Tim Scott was one of the best speakers that I've ever listened to. Tim Scott was one of those people that everyone, at least whenever I was involved in the Senate Banking Committee as an intern, it's like he was one of those people that all the other senators all like, you know, respect. He has that kind of like aura about him where he knows about his issues. He knows about opportunity zones. He knows about banking. He knows about how interest rates works. He knows about Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, all of the things dealing with banking, housing, and any type of economic issues and economic growth development stuff, Tim Scott is an expert on. And he's known as being like that Senator that All the people that are Republican know who Tim Scott is. Whether And most of the people, they don't have any problem with him. He's one of those people that everybody kind of likes. He kind of reminds me of two people, Cory Booker and Marco Rubio. So I remember whenever, like, Cory Booker was also one of my favorite Democratic speakers of all time. You ever listen to Cory Booker speak? He sounds like one of the most intelligent speakers itself. Like, I think Marco Rubio is the same way with the Republican side, where Marco Rubio has a storyline. This guy has a storyline too. With Marco Rubio, he resonated with a lot of low-income people. He resonated with, with Hispanic populations. He had that aura about him that made him stand out among all these other prospective candidates. Plus, with Marco Rubio and, and with Cory Booker, they're very personable people. They're not people that are like, you see them going at a, going to go do a fight with somebody else. I think Tim Scott falls in that same category. So I see his candidacy being similar to those two candidates in the past. Cory Booker didn't really get anywhere. But at the same time, none of the other really Democrats got anywhere in that big cycle when Joe Biden won that candidacy, apart from Bloomberg for his little you know, moment of hurrah. While with the Republican side, Marco Rubio was a very important contender until the end, but then Donald Trump ended up beating him and Ted Cruz out. So I do think Tim Scott's legacy will be similar in that aspect where he will he will um, you know outmaneuver a lot of these other candidates because he seems like a more personable guy. He also is an expert on his issues, but the question is do people really care about policy or do they care about who's going to have the better jabs and who's going to say the better things? And Tim Scott is not... He's not an argumentative guy. He's not a fighter per se. He's just somebody that is going to be like a Jeb Bush type figure where he will have his opinions. He will have his issues. He will have his policies. But the question is, will people, um, you know, rally around those policies or will the policies not really help him in the long run? That's the question.
2: Well, what do you think of Tim Scott running against Nikki Haley for this? Obviously, Trump is the front runner right now. DeSantis is number two. Um, but Nikki Haley, when she was governor, like put Tim Scott into place as an interim senator in the first place. Like she's the reason why he has a political life. So how do you think those two will end up, you know? So
1: if you want in my personal off? opinion, mm-hmm. my personal opinion is Tim Scott, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are not going to go head up or heels over each other and complaining about why they all suck. That's not going to happen. That's a big challenge which is going to hurt them all in the long run because Donald Trump is going to do that. He's going to criticize everybody. He's going to criticize somebody like Nikki Haley, who is one of her right, his right-hand people. He's going to criticize Pence, who was his vice president. And he's also going to criticize Tim Scott, who is one of his most loyal senator supporters within the Senate. He's going to go at it and do everything that he can right? I think that's what differentiates Trump from a lot of these people. And the problem with all these people is that all of these other candidates, they do have much more policy opinions. Nikki Haley is going to have answers to how she's going to solve certain matters. Tim Scott is going to have solutions on what he's done in the past, what he's fought for in the past, and what he wants to see as a future vision of the country. Ron DeSantis was also a governor of Florida and has incorporated a lot of different at- tactics and you know policies in place that a lot of Republicans would aspire beneath- behind, and a lot of those like anti-woke people would should would in terms of policy should go behind Ron DeSantis. The problem is, though, is that you're going up against Donald Trump. Donald Trump is anti-woke Jesus. Donald Trump is the main business guy that you know. He's going to win business people by just being a businessman for 40-some years. So that's something that he won't even talk about. He will automatically win that vote. And on top of all that other stuff, Donald Trump's poll numbers go up whenever there's any new scandal that happens. The E. Jean Carroll story with sexual abuse has pulled up his poll numbers in the primary like general wise he may lose but in the poll numbers of the primary donald trump is up ahead of everybody so like i think that's the challenge that we have to see is that these people if they have any scandals like if tim scott has any scandal come out let's say he has an affair on his wife or something that's all gonna destroy their campaign tim scott With donald trump that wouldn't Exactly. I just think that's what's weird about Donald Trump is none of that stuff really hurts him. So I just think that's the main issue here is that Tim Scott and all these other candidates need to learn how to be a little bit more aggressive and, you know, learn how to be more, you know, combative with each other. Because if they are just the same cookie cutter, nice politicians that they are, there's not going to have a chance to beat Donald Trump. There's just no
0: appetite for that. Like in America, no one wants a kumbaya moment right now where we're all coming together. When you talk to Republicans, they're like, Look at those. Yeah, it's not that we wouldn't mind it. It's good for a healthy political system or a healthy political climate. But we just don't have one at the moment. Like when you talk to people, they just assume everyone on the other side is absolutely nuts. They want a fighter. They want someone that they think is going to be able to push whatever their agenda is through, whether it, you know they have a sophisticated policy view or not. It doesn't actually matter. It's can you get this through? Do you have divisive language? Are you using strong language? If Trump comes out and says, I have the strongest numbers for the economy, and Tim Scott gives you a lecture about why he can provide the best (laughs) economic results, who's going to win that argument every single time? Like, (laughs) if we're voting on confidence, if this is a company, I know who I'm electing as CEO, but if this is a nation being, uh, a president being elected by the people of the United States,
2: there you go. It's going to be Trump or DeSantis, in my opinion. So I pulled up this article about Uh, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and how they were running and I found there was this Washington Post report from a couple days ago where uh, Nikki Haley ended up calling someone that she went to high school with who's a longtime GOP donor Mikey Johnson and she basically said hey like you know are you gonna fund my campaign and he said well if Tim Scott's running then I'm sorry but no so he said no to her he said that was like a really difficult conversation and another guy Chad Waldorf who Nikki Haley named to the board of economic advisors when she was the governor is in, the, is in a similar situation and has said that he's going to back Tim Scott as well. So even though, yeah, in terms of rhetoric between Scott and Haley, they're probably going to be very nice to each other. But at the same time, I just wanted to add that in to say like there is going to be a battle between the two of them over South Carolina mega donors backing one of their campaigns and that may be a big deciding factor like unfortunately the way it is in the world right now is it tends to be that whoever spends more money on their political campaign tends to win and so if tim scott is able to siphon off a lot of haley's like core south carolina republican donors then that's not going to bode well for her campaign so you know it's it's like this weird battle where if they had been in different states Maybe it would have been different, but the fact that they're from the same state, know the same people, have the same donors, it it creates this tension around who's going to get the money, who's going to get the support, and that may end up being the deciding factor between which one of them ends up running in the third slot, which, you know, you can come from number three and win, but if you're in dead last and have no funding, then, you know, good luck. So do you predict
0: that that battle will occur before You know, more of a national battle against DeSantis
2: and Trump. Do you think they'll go after each other first? Oh, I don't think they're going to go after each other at all. I think it's purely just whoever has more money to get ads to then get higher polling numbers. But how do you how do you get that that without
0: bringing down the other person? Just simply, you know, I think it's just personally
2: these these relationships and connections like When I mentioned where Nikki Haley literally went to high school with this guy and then he said, sorry, like, I know we're friends and I've donated to you in the past, but I'm going to support Tim Scott like that. That's kind of brutal to hear that someone who's been supporting you for a while is now just going to support this other guy. Um, So, yeah, again, I don't think it's going to make its way into the debates and I don't think it's going to turn nasty in that way. But there may be like behind the scenes jostling for who's going to get more money to then get out the vote more
1: i do think um if you were to go back in the past go back to 2015 time you had three candidates at the time coming from florida jeb bush marco rubio and technically donald trump and that was one of the big things that actually hurt both rubio and jeb bush was that donald trump stole that crowd and once donald trump had won florida it kind of propelled all the other states to just kind of be like all right let's get behind donald trump because he's won florida but like that was one of those situations where Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush also kind of hurt each other because Marco Rubio criticized a lot of the things that Jeb Bush was doing. Jeb Bush criticized Marco Rubio and then Donald Trump made fun of both of them. So like he kind of like just they all just kind of killed each other off and Donald Trump took advantage of that. And Donald Trump didn't have to do anything in terms of persuading any of those people that you know you should vote for me because I'm better than these other guys. All he had to do is just let those two people kill kill off each other. So the question here is that in 2024 is will all these other candidates kill off each other? And I don't see that happening. I just really think that all these people are idiots because they're not just coalescing around one person because the more and more people you throw in the system, the worse it is for them to have a chance against Donald Trump. And I don't really think that there's anything that really differentiates a Tim Scott or a Nikki Haley. You're better off just combining forces and getting behind somebody like Ron DeSantis because none of these people really have a shot at winning anyway. That's just my perspective. You know, it's kind of stupid to me.
0: Assuming DeSantis ever announces his candidacy, that is, which leads nicely into our next story, critique. So what's going on?
1: So the story is called The Anti-Woke Prophet Prognosticates a Sunshine Revolution for America. So Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida all but declared his presidential candidacy Thursday afternoon. Telling donors and supporters on a call that only three credible candidates were in the race and that only he would be able to win both the Republican primary and the general election. You have basically three people at this point that are credible in this whole thing it's Biden, Trump, and me. And I think of those three, um, two have a chance to get elected president Biden and me, based on the data in the swing states which is not great for the former president and probably insurmountable because people aren't going to change their view for him. DeSantis is expected to file paperwork declaring his candidacy for the Federal Election Commission before a major fundraising meeting with donors in Miami on May 25th. That is meant to act as a show of his financial force. He must formally enter the race before he can solicit donations for his presidential campaign. He said, the attitude of Republican voters amounted to we've got to win this time. And when he praised Trump's policy, he said that Biden has done done many of them. The corporate media wants Trump to be the nominee, DeSantis said, adding that journalists, other candidates and two presidents have targeted him with criticism. DeSantis quoted a voter he had talked with at an event in Iowa as saying, "You know, Trump was somebody we liked his policies, but we don't like his values. And with you, We like your policies, but also that you share our values." Currently polls still place DeSantis consistently behind Trump by a large margin in the GOP primary polls, and with a large margin over other hopefuls. Despite him being a prolific fundraiser raising over $30 million for his super PAC Never Back Down, many top GOP donors have expressed hesitancy due to his concerns over DeSantis' abortion ban and his comments regarding the Russian invasion of Ukraine. With DeSantis' official entry into the 2024 presidential race, um, supposedly by May 25th, the political landscape is set to intensify as he prepares to announce his candidacy all eyes are on the governor, eager to see how he will navigate the competitive Republican primary field and potentially reshape the party's future. So, Nick and Tyler, what are your thoughts on the anti-woke prophet on DeSantis?
0: Well, who is the anti-woke prophet? Is it Trump or is it DeSantis? That's the real question here. Um, so I, I hear a lot of people online basically saying, I can't stand Trump. I can't stand what he's become at this point. We need someone else. Therefore, it's going to be DeSantis who I'm voting for. I'm not sure that a large enough Section of the Trump voter base is willing to say, I'm going to go with DeSantis now simply because he's a more moderate version of Trump. He can get votes. He could probably win. So we should pick that guy. I don't think in in people's minds they're thinking, we're going to pick this guy because he's going to win. They're going to go, we we need to pick Trump because he has to overhaul this political system that was unjust to him, that uh, unduly attacked him, that said he caused January 6th, that's trying to imprison him. There's a witch hunt against him. And I think a lot of Trump's fundamental supporters. Aren't gonna, you know, veer from that course and go with DeSantis. So he can talk as much as he wants. I don't think he's gonna stand much of a chance, even if he does fare better in the election, which is what we've seen throughout the polls. You know, historically at this point, Nick.
2: Yeah, I think it's tough to say because voters don't have an emotional connection to Ron DeSantis. They're starting to build one with all the headlines that are coming out, where DeSantis will say, "Oh, I'm protecting our children. I'm doing this. I'm doing that," and it's like, "Oh, look at this guy. He's standing up for our values. That's great." But with Trump, like there is a real emotional connection there. It's like he's he's your guy, you know, like there's no one else. It's just Trump. So if you're looking for this primary and you're looking for your guy, I mean, he's there. You got to be behind him, you know, Um, and I just think like, okay, I'm kind of joking here, but genuinely, I think there is a visceral emotional reaction to what happened with the last election and for the people who are hardcore QAnon people. I think that, like, they're Trump or bust. I really don't think they're going to support DeSantis unless he wins the primary. They'll vote for him in the general. But in the primary, they're going to be Trump or nothing. Um, and so I don't think that's going to change at all. And DeSantis, again, like we talked about in the last episode, pratique, where you mentioned that he should start attacking Trump on the fact that Trump lost in 2020 and that DeSantis could win. And why would you want to vote for the same guy who already lost to Biden, um, which doesn't make any sense. You should pick someone else who's going to win. Um, but if he goes that route, then again, it spits in the face of all those people who think that the election was unjustly stolen, that it's all based on a big lie, that there's this huge scheme and that, you know, the country is fundamentally captured by the FBI, the CIA. There's all this stuff going on in the background. We saw that this week when, um, I think there were some whistleblowers at the FBI who were testifying and a bunch of Republicans ended up you know, going all over Twitter saying, like, oh, my God, the Biden administration is just, you know, so corrupt. MTG is coming up with the new articles of impeachment against Biden, which I just have to say, like, I looked it up. And I'm going to assume the Wikipedia page for this is, you know, somewhat accurate. And every time she brings up articles of impeachment against Biden, she gets, like, five people maximum to vote with her. Like, no one really takes it seriously. And yet when you look at what MTG says... She, like, takes a principal stand. She's like, it's this or nothing. Like, we need to do this. This is so important. And then, like, no other Republican votes with her. So, like, clearly it's not as big of a deal as it's made out to be online. But, like, those. that being said, like, it's still going to affect the voters, even if Republicans in Congress don't necessarily vote with MTG. There's still a certain block of the base that is exactly like MTG, that is exactly like Bobert, And they are going to vote. Their conscience in that, which is that Donald Trump should have been rightfully elected the president of the United States, something that I disagree with fully. But they would say, look, it's got to be Trump. And DeSantis seems like a good guy, but he's not Trump. We want Trump.
0: Mm-hmm. But it, so, uh, I know, pratiki have a lot to say here. Just very quickly. MTG, she's winning the propaganda war, though. If you can get your views online, say, I'm going to impeach Biden. It doesn't matter how many people vote for you. We're talking about that story. Other news outlets are talking about that story. So regardless of how popular it is internally um, to the population, I think people see that and they go, yeah, Biden, of course, he should be in jail. Lock him up, all that. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think um, when it deals with Ron DeSantis, as I said, you're right, 100% with Nick, what Nick is saying. I agree with that. That's basically what I said in my last episode, is that Ron DeSantis has to try to promote himself as being the candidate that can beat Biden. Donald Trump is lost. With anything, that should be the focus that all these people are hyping around. And this is the problem that I have with all these other people that are running. Like they're All they're doing is they're making it harder for Ron DeSantis to win. Like, no, there's no benefit that Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Asa Hutchinson, now Mike Pence is thinking about running, Mike Pompeo, Vivek Ramaswamy. Those guys are not going to change the election in any way. If anything, they should all consolidate behind Ron DeSantis. Go back to what happened in 2020 with the Democratic presidential cycle where all the other Democrats, like Kamala Harris and um, what was her name? Uh, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, they all gave up to all consolidate behind um, what is his name? Joe Biden. That should be what their focus is, so then they could beat Bernie Sanders. This is what they need to do on the Republican side, too. They all need to consolidate behind the Republican candidate that is going to potentially be the chance that Donald Trump loses. And I do think that apart from Ron DeSantis, he is right into the races between Biden, Trump, and him. But he has to win those people. And I do think that those guys all have to consolidate behind Ron DeSantis. Because unless they do, Donald Trump is going to win the primary. And if Donald Trump wins the primary, the problem is that you as a Republican voter already kind of know that he might lose to Biden again because he lost to him one time already with Ron DeSantis we don't know if he can beat Biden but there's still some kind of hope that maybe this guy could be the answer because you've already seen Trump lose so now you want to see if Biden if uh, what is it DeSantis could beat Biden but that's the main my main thing here but
2: but Pratik do you think they should drop out now though like shouldn't they at least run a couple states to start with like for example you drew the parallel with 2020 and Democrats They waited for a couple states like they waited until after Super Tuesday to start dropping out. So they at least like gave it a shot and saw whether or not they were going to win. And heck, like I think Pete Buttigieg like literally won one of the first states. I forget if it was Iowa or New Hampshire. He won
1: the Iowa caucus. He
2: just straight up won a race and people were shocked and they were like, oh, wait, does this guy actually have a chance? So I don't know if there's early upsets like you can really build momentum and, you know, maybe it's not Trump and DeSantis. Maybe
1: I think I think I would agree with you. But that is if everybody was to engage in the debate, and if Donald Trump doesn't in, doesn't enter the debate, ain't nobody gonna watch that debate. That's the thing, like, you know, people are watching it for Donald Trump. People remember Donald Trump. People think of Donald Trump when they think of presidential debates now. Before then, you had so much, you had only people that were political buffs that would watch these political debates. Then Donald Trump entered and everyone started to watch the political debates. And that even, that even transferred into the Democratic primary where they were like, we need to make sure that this debate is like the Trump primaries because we want to make it exciting. And it was kind of boring. So that's what this is going to be is like, it's going to be the same as what was in the democratic primary cycle. The only difference is, is that if Donald Trump doesn't show up, Donald Trump isn't going to lose any votes. Donald Trump is still going to have the same votes that he already had, but like other people that would have potentially, you know, potentially changed their vote to vote for somebody else. If Donald Trump doesn't show up, it's, a, it's in the, basically in Donald Trump's, like, benefit for them just to not show up in the debate. Now, if all these other people just started dropping out like flies, because I in my, in my belief, they shouldn't have even entered in the first place. It's kind of stupid. They should have all, like, once they all, like, drop out, and if they're able to just get behind Ron DeSantis, then if it's just between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, then, like, Donald Trump has to show up to the debate. But if it's all the, in Ron, Donald Trump, for all it's worth, he knows that Ron DeSantis is his main rival. He's even had ads coming on TV. Ron DeSantis even, isn't even declared yet that he's going to run, but he has ads going on about how Ron DeSantis is like, you know, is bad for taxes and he's done all this stuff against Disney and now he's bad for business and how like, you know, he's trying to cut your Medicare and he's trying to cut your Social Security. You well, should you remember the me. pudding ad. Yeah, the pudding guy. Yeah, he has a all over DeSantis that pudding. Where they had
2: just eating pudding with three fingers, just straight from the I don't the remember thing. that. <laughs> straight from the top.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but see, what I'm saying is Donald Trump knows that Ron DeSantis is his rival. He knows all these other people are pretty useless. And to be honest, if all these other people are in the race, then just dealing, uh, it just kind of eliminates the amount of pa- firepower that Ron DeSantis has. Because Ron DeSantis would win all those people, probably, that would have supported anybody of those other candidates. And they would all consolidate around the anti-Trump candidate who would be Ron DeSantis. The problem with all these other people, though, is they're just a bunch of idiots. They can't argue about why they... like The problem, I call them idiots, too, okay? If you can't say that Donald Trump lost in the last election and you can't say that you if you were to run you could beat Biden and Donald Trump hasn't if you can't say those two things why would anybody go out of their way to vote for you Mike Pence can't even stand up for himself why should you go stand up for Mike Pence all of these people are all a bunch of like you know they're all a bunch of useless losers because unless like they get behind Ron DeSantis they're not getting anywhere. They're just trying to get their name out there and they're gonna just steal money from a bunch of donors that would have supported somebody like Ron DeSantis to actually give him a shot, as opposed to like, you know, them trying to have their own firepower in their own hand. Like all they're doing really is they're just kind of making sure that Donald Trump wins the primary. And the more and more people that enter, Donald Trump's probably happy about it. And all Donald Trump has to do is not enter the race because if he enters the race, then he's just an idiot. He shouldn't even enter the debates. He should just be like, all right, just let all these idiots fight it out. They're all going to die out anyway. They're all going to vote for me. I'm Donald Trump. I'm the greatest. Like that's what's going to happen in my opinion.
0: No, I, I think you made good points. It's just for me, especially the voting populace, they don't care about your, your political thought and theory and like, Oh, if we just coalesce these votes around this guy, then we'll win the election. I don't think people think like that. They think like, who's going to best represent me, my values, and what I see, what I want for the country? And if that's Trump, it's going to be Trump. If it's DeSantis, it's going to be DeSantis. But I don't think that they're going to go, oh, we need to get this amount of votes for this guy. So when he goes up against Biden, then he'll win. I just don't think that actually enters the mind of most of the voting populace. So I think politically, like the candidates running, yeah, they know what they're doing. They know they're going to be siphoning off a few votes. They're trying to become popular in themselves. At the end of the day, everyone's out for themselves at the highest level of politics. We all understand that. Um, But but the voting bases, I don't think they're ever going to fall in line in terms of like, oh, this has to be our guy because he's the only one that could win. I just don't think people actually
2: vote like that. I have some polling data to share. Pratik, did you have any uh, response to Tyler there or
1: straight? No, to the- no you go. Go to the poll. All man. right,
2: let's, let's go straight to the poll. So just for the audience, by the way, this story is going to sound a little different than most of our stories. Um, so full disclosure, we had a story that we wrote up and then we put it into chat GPT. And to make it more interesting, we asked it to make it a little sexy. So <laughs> here's here's what we came up with. Uh, steamy showdown. Trump dominates polls. Biden and DeSantis locked in sizzling political battle. So in the sizzling world of politics, former President Trump holds a scorching seven point lead over <laughs> President Biden, setting hearts ablaze, according to a steamy Harvard Caps Harris poll. And when it comes to a tantalizing face-off, Biden and the charismatic Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, find themselves in a thrilling tie igniting the passion of Trump's dominance in the GOP primary as DeSantis <laughs> prepares to enter the race. My God, some of these words. However, amidst DeSantis's claims of being the stronger contender against Biden in the general election, doubts are starting to smolder as the poll raises questions about his seductive allure. So this captivating survey reveals that if the tantalizing 2024 election were held today, a blazing 47% of respondents would passionately vote for Trump while an alluring 40% would passionately back Biden. Now, in the seductive showdown between DeSantis and Biden, both captivating candidates received an equally enchanting support from 42% of respondents. These intriguing findings suggest a challenging atmosphere for DeSantis's scintillating announcement, yet voters still believe he possesses the potential to ignite a fiery competition. And in closing, in a world of desire and longing. The prevalent perceptions setting Trump as the irresistible Republican frontrunner as he prepares to face Biden in the forthcoming election and standing in his as his tantalizing rival, consistently captivating hearts in second place is the mesmerizing DeSantis, which, by the way, as an aside, I don't think anyone will ever call DeSantis <laughs> mesmerizing outside of this right now. I mean, maybe that's the genius of AI, but you know, I really don't <laughs> think anyone will call him that again in his life. Um, but in any case, so this survey, which was very enticing, was conducted amongst 2004 registered voters and unveiled a significant lead for Trump while simultaneously kindling a fiercely contested race between Biden and DeSantis, leaving us all longing for the passionate flames of the political <laughs> battlefield. Uh, so, Tyler, and Pratik, what do you think about this? One, think- do you think the story was interesting enough? Did ChatGPT succeed in making polling sexy? Or is it still sort of? The same old numbers, but you know, through an AI lens. They love saying I, tantalizing. Like, what's <laughs> tantalizing about the election? <laughs> like, like there's a few things. I love yeah, passionate sure. flames of the political battlefield. It like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just and it's like, like do not imagine anything like that. You know.
0: Yeah, they're talking about the santas and they're like, the poll raises questions about his seductive allure. <laughs> I think I honestly, like all political commentary should be like this.
2: I you know, one thing we've talked about previously is DeSantis's charisma or lack thereof. I don't know, Prateek Tyler, do you think that's gonna have any bearing in the actual election? And mostly think, in the debate stages, like one on one with Trump. I
0: think on his own, he's actually a pretty decent speaker and I I you know, he talks about all the right things. It's just against Trump. That's that's the biggest issue here. If we were uh, DeSantis against pretty much anyone else, there's really no issues here. It's just Trump is the bully. He has those zealous supporters. How do you get by this guy that has all the support, but he probably doesn't he's probably not gonna win the general election. But these supporters are not willing to leave him. How do you poach those those people? That's issue. people
2: people who may be listening who are like oh why do you care like why do you care that much about charisma like shouldn't you just care about their policy positions isn't that what really matters like if the person is decent and smart and has good ideas on policy that you would agree with the answer is no for example, Jeb, Bush, particularly how like Jeb Bush, Jeb Bush got absolutely spanked the last time around. Like Jeb Bush had no shot of winning once Trump was on there and just made fun of the guy every single time on stage. And like, this is a man from a major political dynasty who was the governor of Florida, same way that DeSantis is the governor of Florida. And he just didn't have the personality to get past Trump. So unfortunately, like, or fortunately, depending on where you're sitting, like, this ends up mattering a lot. And if it was Tim Scott, like we talked about earlier, who just seems like a decent, nice guy running versus DeSantis, I don't think it would be the same issue. I, if anything, then I think it would be, OK, where are they different on the issues? Which one do I like better in terms of how they're actually going to govern as the leader of the country? No, that's not what's on the ballot here. Like Trump is so much of a wild card. He, he really like pulls people in and he draws you to whatever he wants you know, or whatever he thinks is going to get people riled up and then he runs with it and he does really well. So on the debate stage, like he clearly stands out and yeah, I just, I just don't know. Again, like you guys were saying, whether or not he's going to find it even worthwhile to show up to the debates, but I think it would just make it that much more clear that he would be a better pick. He's
0: an expert at using emotionally charged words and language and anchoring those to certain people. Like, he can get you to associate a negative, like, laziness with, like, another politician or something in a way that others can't do. And he's very simple about it. And that's why I went after him about the, uh, the serendipitous Uh, desantimonious man sorry desantimonious it's like that doesn't stick but everything he had done in the past was really effective at that and actually when you're trying to manipulate someone psychologically that's what you do you use emotionally charged words so that when they're listening to you they have the framing of someone that's emotional in whatever way you want them to be whether that's sad or angry or whatever that
1: man, he needs to come up with something catchy
0: but he hasn't yet. I mean, but you're right. There's there's no one out charismaing Trump at this point. The problem is, and I'd mentioned this previously. It's like, Trump has baggage now. He has this baggage. We know he has this baggage, and yet. He's still going to have a chunk of supporters that will never leave him. How is DeSantis going to overcome that? What can he possibly pull out of his his hat? What rabbit can he pull that will magically make it that he can fill that gap that he currently has with Trump? I just don't see it.
1: And I think the main problem with DeSantis is the guy needs to learn how to attack back. Like the thing about Donald Trump is Donald Trump. You don't Trump just learn attacker.
0: how to attack, though. Trump's always attacked. Like you don't yeah, just go always. up against someone that's been attacking people for 70 years. Like you don't you're going to lose that. Yeah, even if you start now, so it's like I—you're probably best off being yourself. It's just not enough, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> and I think the main thing here too is like Donald Trump is, for all its worth, he will—he he has to like. He has to set himself different from like, you know, all these people whenever he talks about certain things and the way he interacts with certain things to make sure that he wins as moderates in the general, especially with dealing with G.E. Gene Carroll and, you know, situations like that. But I do think Don Ron DeSantis needs to capitalize on that. The fact that Ron DeSantis has taken this long to um, you know, and in- this is long to announce his candidacy is kind of sad. Like, he should have done this stuff way back when. And now, like, Right now, even when it deals with this stuff, every time Trump has a scandal, he goes up in polls. Like, I still think with the E. Jean Carroll stuff, like, many conservatives have criticized her for, like, you know, waiting from 1996 to 2019, a.k.a. 23 years after the alleged incident occurred, before she decided to, you know that, you know, create a claim for rape after that. And then since then, like, you could also, a lot of Republicans still haven't lost, you know, Donald Trump's support, or Donald Trump still hasn't lost a lot of Republican support because the fact is that she didn't lose, or she didn't win the case with rape. She just won a sexual abuse claim, but the case was about rape, and she had waited from nineteen ninety six to twenty nineteen to throw that out. So my point is that there's a lot of different elements here. You can even argue that you know she she lost because I mean she she won the case because it was in New York, and New York is a very liberal state. A lot of Republicans are going to make that claim, whether or not it's true or not. That's pointless. My point with all of this stuff in the end is that Ron DeSantis has actual things that he can attack on. These other people need to just quit and join the Ron DeSantis team. And what Ron DeSantis really needs to do is he needs to do three things. He needs to say that he won't, He could win, he could beat Biden, Joe but Biden, Donald Trump has lost. That's the first thing he needs to do. The second thing he needs to do is he needs to actually have the same firepower that donald trump does if donald trump attacks him he needs to have the balls to attack back the problem with all these people is that these people if donald trump attacks any of these people these people are too worried about attacking back because they're worried about how they're going to look in terms of the political situation and they want to be politically correct and all this stuff hence donald trump wins these races and i do agree with a lot of the stuff that nick talked about in the past where it's like all these other issues, usually debates, are all about policy-oriented debates. Democrats had the same thing in the last election cycle. They had 26 different candidates, and all of those people literally were talking about policy issues that differentiated each other from each other. With Donald Trump, all of that stuff gets thrown out the window because Donald Trump never talks about policy in these debates. He just goes out and attacks people. So if these people don't attack back, well, Donald Trump's already won. He doesn't he even He talks have to about nothing. policy critique. It, it, he but if the he talks policy. about policy, it's varies, very brief. But-
0: it's very high level, very exactly. brief. We're going to make the economy great. We're talking about the world economy here. And he's like, we're going to make it great. And he doesn't give specifics, but he doesn't need to. Because people think and see him as the economic business candidate. He's going to make the economy better because that's just who he is. It doesn't actually matter what he's like trying to put forward.
1: And he's already been there now. So now you know what to look at. With Donald Trump and with Biden, they've already been there. So the onus is on the people going against them to prove how what they will do is better than what the other person has done. If Ron DeSantis can't go out and criticize specific policies that Donald Trump has enacted that he is uh, is opposed to because he's worried he's going to lose other voters, he's already lost the election. There's not even any point of even having these debates. We should already crown Donald Trump president because you know all these other people don't have any actual opinions about what makes them better than Donald Trump. And if you can't do that and if you can't go out of your way to at least at a minimum say that Donald Trump lost and I will beat Joe Biden and Donald Trump has already lost to him. If you can't do that then you're all all these people are pretty pointless and useless. Then at that point, you're just better off just like, you know, not even having a debate. You should already be past the primary stage because these people don't have anything in them to actually stand out.
0: Do you know what? I I think this is how you beat Trump. You say it's actually a conspiracy that Trump's running again because he knows the Republicans are going to lose and he's trying to crash the Republican Party. And because of that, we need to vote in DeSantis.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the santimonious it's a double
0: conspiracy <laughs> it's conspiracyception. that's how you beat trump it's the only way because you can't go lower than him
2: so if if you think he's low energy by the way for trump compared to when he used to run it's because when the fbi raided mar-a-lago they replaced him with a body double and they're just controlling him exactly that's what he has going the best on.
1: secret service so nobody else saw it coming
0: Yeah, the real Trump hasn't been seen since January 6th. Who knows what happened? But with that, we're going to be moving on to one of our favorite senators. So we have, moving on, we're moving on to Dianne Feinstein. Was she with us in flesh or in spirit? So the 89-year-old legislator Dianne Feinstein, the oldest Democratic senator in politics from California, told reporters that she has been working when she was actually gone for three months. Uh, When she was asked if she had been working remotely, she responded, no, I've been here. I've been voting. Please, you either know or don't know. Senator Dianne Feinstein then uh, experienced complications that were publicly disclosed from a recent case of shingles that are left her absent from Washington for three months. Um, she had also suffered from Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, which occurred when shingles spread to her ne- uh, head and neck, in the case of encephalitis, which is the swelling of the brain, a person familiar with the situation said on Thursday. The oldest senator in the U.S. government is currently serving her final term, but calls have been made uh, from opposition claiming that she is currently um, mentally unfit to serve. So what are your guys' thoughts on this? Is she unfit to serve? I know we talk all the time about ageism, people getting older in politics, these old people running the country. Is she too old to be a senator in the U.S.? What are your thoughts?
1: No. I want a senator that's going to live to be 101, being a senator <laughs> when they're 101. That's what I want. <laughs> I want the oldest people leading our country. They have experience. They know it all. They know it all, and they're super old, so they yeah. connect with their voter base, which is the old people.
0: Yes, we need the elders to gather around a table and figure it all out.
1: Nick, you got any thoughts on old people? Are you one of them Nikki Haley, like anti-old Are you people? Ages? What you doing? Ages? Oh, God.
2: Well, first of all, ageism <laughs> in the workplace is illegal. You can't discriminate against people. I think it's over 40, which is crazy to me. It's like Darn. 40 is not that old, you know? Like, 40 is like... I don't know. It's really not that. uh, Anyway, I think it should be more like 50. But in any case, um, I think (laughs) if you're 42, I'm sorry. But, you know, you could be fired Um, (laughs) anyway. So for for Feinstein, yeah, I think just the fact that her illness has literally taken her out of doing her duties. So, for example, I think where I would draw the line is like, are you able to do your job? Right. If you're able to just show up and vote that's fine. Like We can have all these disagreements over whether or not someone is mentally capable and whether they have the acuity to actually be smart and make good decisions when they're making a vote. But that's very separate from just like showing up in the first place. So why she was criticized a lot was that there were votes that were going through for judges, for example, and she just wasn't there to vote yes for them. And that ended up being an issue. So the fact that she's just not showing up to work i feel bad for her that she's been sick like that that sucks that's not good but at the same time like just because i feel bad that she's been ill doesn't mean that we should like treat her with kids gloves as far as voting for very consequential issues where like this is an important job that she has and if she's just not fit to do it then maybe someone else should you know maybe someone else should step up but and we've seen this previously like people have resigned For example, for very different reasons, but for example, Franken resigned and they put someone else in. Um, So it's not like it would be like an appreciable, huge stain on her record to be like, oh, wow, you know, she was really old. She got sick and then she left. I feel like that's a totally reasonable reason to be discharged. And when you're looking at someone like Fetterman, for example, who just won in Pennsylvania, Like, he suffered a stroke. His wife had to go out and do his acceptance speech when he was elected. And even now, there's still things where you'll look at clips of him, and it's like, oh, man, like, I don't know if this guy is really the same as he used to be. But at the same time, like, he's showing up. Like, he's actually doing his job. So it's very different, I think, to be sick and to be hit hard by an illness that takes you out for a bit. But you got to show up. Like, you actually have to do the vote. That's why you're there. Otherwise, what's the point? So I think she should resign at this point. Yeah, um,
0: I echo much of what you said there. I would be more strong to say that there should be some sort of mental acuity test. Like we should have some idea that these people are somewhat mentally competent. Like if you're, let's say, I don't, I don't know, you have Alzheimer's and you're in office, do we just let that slide? Like is that okay? Because like you, you could show up, but. Is, like, is that productive? Is that what we want as a nation to have these sorts yes, of people running? This is what <laughs> I know, I know, Pratik <laughs> wants it. Pratik wants people literally in the grave, like just sitting in their grave, just going, All right, how are we gonna run this freaking big, the United States here? Um, but in my it's opinion, not, I don't not think what it's, I good. it's the people what all the people want. OT restricting, you know, people over a certain age. I personally don't feel any qualms about it because you have plenty of time in your life to run for office. You have your chance. And at a certain point, there are going to be more qualified people than yourself. And you'll have experience and wisdom and you can counsel and all that. But do you need to be a representative? I don't think so. That's a privilege more than it's a right.
2: You know, all those riots in France and protests around the retirement age feinstein doesn't care about any of that she's she's ready she's to, about go to on double until the, the retirement end. age um, in France. <laughs> but i mean i mean look here's here's the thing what if we end up setting a cap to it let's say it's 90 years old and then you know a thousand years in the future people live to be 150 like then is it like oh i guess we update it but i don't know i feel like once you start making restrictions i don't i don't really know i feel like if anything i think the voters should just do a better look if there's a better candidate who's younger and who's sharper and all that Vote them into office. You don't need a law like prohibiting those candidates from running. If they suck and they're not going to be good at their job, then just you know have someone else beat them. You know the solution, but if this?
0: they're an R and or a D, Partick says it all the time. If they're Republican or Democrat, and there's like 80% Democrats in the district, and you're the Democrat and you're an incumbent, you're never going to lose. Like yeah. I know you. I know people should vote that way, but they will never vote that way. You know what I mean? I just yeah, don't fair. see that happening.
1: And also, the other thing is that you really need to institute term limits because that would solve the whole problem. Or
0: term limits. That's another If you optimal. had term limits. Because you, you have to rerun have for a different issues. position.
1: You don't yeah. have old, old people becoming governors. It doesn't really happen. I know it that's happens fair. with the presidency, but that's just because only old people like that. Yeah, I was going to say, and Asa Hutchinson is vote.
2: running, and he he's pretty old. Like, They're he's not old. young, and this is his first time doing it yeah he's i mean no look like,
1: hey biden is pretty old and bernie has been pretty old he's only getting older too donald trump's pretty old we only like old people people that are competent like Nikki haley tim scott nobody cares about those guys those people are pointless
0: you need old people critique wants you to drop out if you're young yes. and able and capable and smart and with it and have good policy positions we don't even want you to run in the race Get out of contention. Yes, we want the what? oldest of the old. <laughs> <laughs> and with that said, we have another, obviously, you know, a big point of contention going on on the, the debt limit side. This has been all over the news lately. Um, so, so Nick, what's going on there?
2: Yeah, so debt ceiling talks are at a standstill. President Biden is facing unrest from progressive Democrats in Congress. As the debt ceiling talks of the Republicans have intensified and pretty much fallen apart ahead of the June 1st deadline. Initially, Biden was refusing to negotiate on raising the debt ceiling, but Republicans have really capitalized on this situation, and that's led the White House to reconsider the Republican proposals for spending cuts. And the negotiations now involve discussions on work requirements for welfare programs, oil and gas project reforms, discretionary spending caps, and rescinding unspent COVID-19 funds. So as time runs out, negotiations, you know, they've, they've hit this roadblock. And the White House insists that the budget talks are separate from the debt ceiling. But the Republicans think that their pressure on the limit is really pushing the White House to negotiate. And before he shortened his overseas trip due to the debt ceiling talks, Biden expressed confidence in reaching a budget agreement to avoid defaults. But again, as the deadline is approaching, the outcome of the negotiations remains uncertain. So basically, we have Biden saying, oh, look, we're going to come to a deal and there's no deal. So... You know, this is in a week and a half is when this is going to hit. And it's going to be a big issue if it does. Um, Now people like people joked over the summer or actually it wasn't over the summer. It was uh, during this winter. People were joking about, you know, the Fed printing some coin that's worth like a trillion (laughs) dollars just to like get around this. Uh, And people were kind of laughing it off and whatever. And now there are real discussions around whether or not the president can unilaterally declare that we're raising the debt ceiling um, or whether or not that's purely within uh, the role of Congress and sort of what the balance of power should be here. So I think it actually is a very interesting conversation, but clearly as we only have like 10 days to go, this is gonna be a big deal and major concessions are gonna have to be made on both sides, I think. Um, Mostly on the Democrat side because the Republicans are the ones who have control of the house and they're gonna hold it all up until they kind of get what they want or at least enough of what they want to avoid a total meltdown and collapse. Pratik Tyler, what are your thoughts on this? I feel like
0: the same thing happens every few years where there's always a battle over this. Are we going to default on the dead? Oh, of course we have to negotiate and it always goes through. Um, But I do hear things certain like I read a lot of financial news and for instance, JP Morgan actually has a dedicated team of like eight people that are around the clock monitoring this because they actually think there's a real chance that a default does take place. And I look at that and I'm like, maybe that's just a cautionary thing. They're just trying to be proactive. But on the other hand, it's like, is something different this time? I'm not sure. A default would be horrific for this country, and it would be a huge stain on all of our politicians
2: and their entire legacy to let that happen. So I'm hoping it doesn't happen personally. Will it be a stain, though, Tyler? Because all they have to do is point the finger and say, oh, it's the other guy's fault. And then the other side has to go, it was their fault. Which is fine, (laughs) but
0: it's a stain historically. Like, looking back, I think people will go, I mean, the people in office at that time, they really fucked up. But, like, do you really remember,
2: like, when Trump shut down the government for, like, a month? Or whatever like do you do you think about that in your day day? like did that really affect you in any appreciable way to this day it affected
1: still? it affected no. tyler <laughs> i am i have
2: ptsd actually
0: i can't stand this anymore i need medication pratik what are your thoughts on it
1: i i just think that this is one of the things that always happens every year this is something that is part of politics at this point there's never any agreement when it deals with any budgets when it deals with any debt ceilings democrats especially the benefit with democrats right now is you have joe biden in office you don't have another progressive democrat if you had somebody like bernie in office there would be no resolution you would just be complaining about it and then you would default and that's what a lot of de- um, progressive democrats right now in congress are calling for they're saying that joe biden is caving to the republicans he does not standing his own ground and he is not fighting for a lot of the progressive values that they want instead he's just listening to whatever the republicans want to do and he's just wants to you know create a solution as opposed to fighting for their issues and holding his ground so this is something that obviously with democrats democrats um you know they they want somebody that is able to at least progressive they want somebody that's able to hold their ground they want a trumpian figure inside office from the democratic side and the thing is that they don't have one and they have somebody that is able to resolve some of these issues because Joe Biden is seen as more of a moderate candidate, more of a moderate president. So some of these things is what causes there to be a rift within their democratic side. But I honestly feel, and Nick can agree with me or disagree with me on this, but majority of the people that are voting Democrat are not on the progressive end of things. They're more on the like, you know, they're, they lean left or moderate Democrats, more so than hardcore progressives but the people with the loudest voice, just like the MAGA people in the Republican side or the progressive Democrats on the Democratic side.
2: Well, yeah, that's what's going to push everything is the extremes of both parties. Like we've seen that separation happen over the years. And for example, with McCarthy's vote getting held up, most Republicans voted for McCarthy. They were fine with him being speaker. But it was all like the hardcore MAGA candidates like MTG, Boebert, others who were, and Gates, were like, no we're not going to let you do this, McCarthy, because we have our own list of demands and you need to cater to those demands. Um, And so it's the same thing with the progressives. For example, like AOC will definitely not be happy about this. Like you can look at whatever statements she puts out. AOC is not going to be happy in the slightest. Whereas someone like if someone was more of like a traditional Nancy Pelosi style Democrat, then I think they would be pretty much fine with whatever agreement that comes out of this like sure there's going to be all the political theater but at the end of the day i think most of the republicans and most of the democrats are are going to be fine with making an agreement on this but the wings of the parties that really influence things especially around the primaries like i i think if that this wasn't around the primary season i don't think it would have been as much of a big deal but because you have the election coming up so soon i think this is like a huge show. To be like, hey, there, we totally disagree with you. Biden, you're bad. And Republicans, I think, are going to capitalize on this, um, which they should they have, honestly. Like when you're in the minority in power, like, all you can really do is like whine about it and be upset. And then the second you split the se- the House and the Senate and you have some power, it's like, OK, great. Well, let's just like slow the brakes and bring things to a halt. And generally, I believe in compromise, as long as it's like in good faith here, neither side really seems to be like totally on board with the compromise stuff. The Democrats seem to say like, oh, this is what we want. Give us what we want. And the Republicans are like, no, we want something totally different. We want the opposite of you. Give us what we want. And both sides are like, no, (laughs) we don't want to do that. So I don't know how they figure it out this time. Yeah, I, but I do think it would be a huge win for the
0: Republicans to, like, raise the requirement to get welfare. Um, th- something like that, I think, really would
2: boost them in the next election. Oh, uh, dude, any- you know what? Yeah. You know what's so interesting is that Trump at the CNN town hall, he was asked about the debt ceiling by Caitlin Collins, and he said it's going to happen eventually. He said this in a few interviews where he said it's better to just have us hit the debt ceiling now and just blow through it and have an issue. And we're going to have to deal with it at some point. May as well deal with it now. I think he's fine saying that because he's not in office. But Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. no pressure on him to say it right now. Um, but that, it's funny to me that the guy who really frames himself as the economic savior of the country is willing to just totally plunge the financial system into complete chaos and collapse. Yeah, uh, but I honestly, if you support Trump, I don't think you're concerned. You think he, he knows what
0: he's doing. He'll get the result he wants. He's great for the economy, and that's that. But with that, let's move on to our next favorite person. Um, We actually have two headlines. So we have, Give me my own money and let me handle it. Or as I like to say, Santos is money. We have Representative George Santos has named himself as treasurer of his campaign committee. Adding another twist to the ongoing saga of puzzling filings made by his campaign. Despite denying any wrongdoing, Santos' campaign has faced scrutiny over the identity of its treasurer and questionable expenses, as we had discussed on previous weeks. Previously, Santos' campaign appointed a treasurer named Andrew Olson, but no record showed him as serving as treasurer for any federal or New York state political committees. Olson's associated address was that of a mixed-use building in Elmhurst, where the Santos' sister previously lived, and when dozens of campaign expenses listed as $199.99, A penny below the threshold for which campaigns are required to retain receipts, with a criminal indictment and charges against him, Santos denied any wrongdoing. Well's campaign faces scrutiny over its treasurer's identity and questionable expenses, its comedic whirlwind of confusion, and paperworking, paperwork mishaps. I like that last sentence. Um, but yeah, of course, we have Santos. We can't leave this man alone. Um, I know Prateek wanted this man dead months ago, but he's still here. He's still kicking. Um, just named himself as treasurer. He he's seems to be fairly self-aware. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he knew this would be a political story obviously he has all these scandals around him but it seems like he likes that limelight whether the whether it's good or bad publicity it doesn't seem to matter um this is only something you do if you're trying to be a little troll kind of smack the face of the public so what are your guys thoughts
1: i actually want to see if brought um what is his name george santos actually has a chance to rewin his own like house election. I kinda of find it hilarious how this guy is so notorious at this point. Everyone knows who George Santos is. Republicans are like trying to push it down the drain. Like, you know, who cares? Like this guy is just some random dude that's a rep. Democrats are trying to hype up the George Santos as being like the next big like thing and like the Reason why all Republicans are corrupt and terrible is somebody like George Santos gets elected But it's just ironic to me that this guy just keeps on doing more and more things The guy has been caught for so many sketchy things He's like he doesn't even really fit the norms of a Republican to be honest Like there's nothing really about this guy that makes you stand out like oh, yeah This guy's like a classic Republican the dude is a gay guy. He's had this drag queen stuff. The guy's a credit card fraud monster. Like he's like becoming his own treasurer. Like he's done so many sketchy things that he doesn't really fit the norms of any politician really. But it's just that this guy is like the brand new thing in the market that this is what we care about. This is what we talk about. Hence, he's the gaff machine of
0: 2023. Yep. Um. And it looks like he has one challenger. Kellen Curry, who's an Afghanistan veteran, worked at JP Morgan. Um, He basically said he re- read about Santos and he was disgusted. And I think anyone running against Santos would use that as their political messaging. This guy is disgusting. He should never have been put in here in the first place. I'll do a much better job for you. And that's, that's what DeSantis
1: needs to do to, in politics, man. Like, that's what all of these other primary contestants need to do. Is just say that, yeah, this guy has done some horrific things. This guy was a terrible president. You vote for me, I'll make the country a better place than it was before. Like, that's what they need to do. They need to take a page in the book from Kellen Curry. That's how Ron DeSantis is going to become the next president of the United States, people.
0: After he takes down Disney and defeats the wokes, yeah. all the wokes without <laughs> saying gay, of course. Um, but yeah, that, that that's what we got today.
2: Any final comments before we're closing out the show this week? No, I was gonna say. So of note, Carrie Lake, uh, her election her final showdown is happening uh, we'll report on that next week because it's still with the court they're still rendering a decision um Carrie Lake of course is um she ran for governor in Arizona has challenged it numerous times over the past couple of months but uh, we will cover that when the decision formally comes out next week but something to look forward to
0: absolutely and I can't wait for hopefully some of those campaigns start to uh, stuff to start as well. Getting those guys on a debate stage is going to be excellent, exciting, which is why everyone should follow. Um, please share the podcast. We really want to get out there for this next election cycle. We really appreciate it, um, and we'll catch you next week. Later.